Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, and this episode, we are putting recruitment under the spotlight. One of the most data-rich areas of people practice, it has the potential to be one of the most scientific. But, as anyone who has ever suffered the negative impact of a poor hire, or been hired into a role that just didn't suit them, knows, often the process can feel a bit more pin-the-tail-on-the-donkey than carefully controlled chemistry experiment. In fact, According to Harvard Business Review, between 40 and 60% of management hires fail within their first 18 months, while the Corporate Leadership Council has found that nearly 50% of executive new hires fail within the same time frame. So with such a poor hit rate, what if we did away with our recruitment processes altogether? What if, we are asking this episode, we recruited at random? Given the effectiveness of the unstructured interview, you might well argue that many businesses essentially already are. While unstructured interviews are often beloved by hiring managers, study upon study finds them to be among the worst predictors of actual on-the-job performance. And that's not to mention the negative impact they have on diversity, thanks to hiring manager bias, conscious or unconscious. And with many businesses facing a talent drain, struggling to fill vacancies, paper over skills gaps and keep hold of staff, there could scarcely be a more important time to ensure we are getting the right people in the right jobs at the right time. Would dispensing with received wisdom about what a good recruitment process looks like help us to do that? To help me weigh up the issues, I put two experts through a highly structured, well-planned and considered interview process. Thomas Chamorro Premusic is an organisational psychologist and author of books including The Talent Delusion and Why So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix It. He uses science and technology to help organisations predict human behaviour. And Cynthia V. Davis is founder and CEO of specialist recruitment firm BAME Recruitment, with more than 20 years of hands-on recruitment experience at senior level. I started by asking them both for their honest assessment of the state of play. How advanced is the recruitment process generally across UK PLC? Thomas first. Despite, you know, the growing complexities of technologies, etc., I mean, the process of the recruitment has not changed that much in 20 or 30 years. Fundamentally, you know, uh, you have uh, employers who look for talent or employees. Um, then you have candidates or applicants that look for work. And then, you know, connecting these two sides, the supply and the demand side of talent is what recruitment does. So you have a process of advertising the jobs and you have a process of searching or attracting candidates. And then you get into the assessment. The assessment part still fundamentally relies on some version of a resume or something that enables hiring managers and recruiters to evaluate your experience, your past work track record, your hard skills, your expertise, whether that's LinkedIn or your resume or, you know, something that you upload somewhere doesn't make a difference. Then fundamentally, at some point there is an interview. It doesn't matter if it's in person, on Zoom, on the phone or, you know, asynchronous and run by, it's always an interview situation. And I would say maybe in 20 or 25% of the times, there is some kind of formal psychometric assessment that might evaluate your competencies, your abilities, your personality, your culture fit, etc. I mean, these are the three parts 
us. Uh, in some instances, you might have something like a work simulation and, you know, you're asked to come in or do a job and people watch how you do something. Um, of course, there's still uh, references, letters of recommendations. So, you know, we might ask people to talk about how good you are or whether you have a you know good moral character, etc. And at some point, you know, you combine all these different pieces of information and you decide whether somebody is a better candidate than others and try to get the best person. And, you know, what's often missing is the ability to then evaluate whether our decision was correct or not in the future. Um, you know, and that's really important because any organization that has a well-functioning recruitment process in place will always try to close the loop and feed the actual job performance data into the system to fine-tune the process and the decision-making so that over time you end up with better candidates more often. Sometimes there's a bit of a, a flaw when we talk about recruitment processes. I don't think there's the what I'd call the most sophisticated or finished article. And I think a lot of the times with recruitment, it tends to focus on experience, what people have done, you know, the badges that they've collected, you know, where they've worked versus capability. People are too focused on how many years experience somebody has versus maybe the capability to come in and, and actually do the job. I think there's a lot of bad habits that as recruiters have crept in in the processes of how recruitment has always been done. And that's sometimes not fit for purpose in the environment that we're currently in. So if I look at how traditionally most recruiters have done it's very much about you know spoon feeding clients what they've always had because they they're wanting to just have a you know a quick placement they're wanting to fill the role and move on to the next so things like prioritizing on you know diversity or prioritizing on going and reaching a much more diverse talent pool have not always been top of that priority. It's always just been, we know last time they took somebody that went to this university, therefore we'll give them the same. That's not allowed for that equal level playing field because it's maybe left our people that didn't come from those background universities or didn't work in those competitors, but still had the relevant skill set. So it's pretty clear that despite advances in technology and our understanding of the potential of people data, and despite growing calls to improve diversity, there's plenty of room for improvement. And as Thomas points out, Perhaps counterintuitively, the efficacy of hiring tends to get worse the higher up the organisational tree you go. Paradoxically, there's more science, more data and more, certainly more ability to judge success and measure accuracy at the low end of the skills spectrum, at the low end of the job seniority. And when you look at sort of, you know, worse paid and simpler, less complex jobs, why? Uh, because it's a game of numbers there. So you need to use data, you need to sort of standardize, scale and automate. But then the big advantage you have is that uh, in these jobs, performance is very, very easily quantified and defined, you know. So for an Uber driver, there cannot be a subjective disagreement of whether somebody is a good driver or not, because if you look at, they've done 3,000 trips a year and they have this customer rating and, you know, uh, they've made this much money and they have no insurance claims, etc. right? Now, when we move at the, to the other end of the spectrum, we're looking at executives, it sort of is the wild west of uh, performance uh, measure. You know, I, I always laugh when executives or CEOs tell me that, former CEOs tell me that during their tenure, you know, the company grew by 20 or 30 uh, percent. 
because of them or despite of them. You know, there's just no direct observable connection between what executives and senior leaders do, you know, their behavior and the outcomes or the effectiveness. Thomas feels that the potential is there for recruitment to be more scientific, given the richness of data that could be gathered via tools like psychometric tests and other assessments. Yet there exists no shortage of examples of terrible hiring decision-making. Take a recently reported story of COVID-19 vaccine maker Moderna's newly hired CFO. He exited the business a day after taking up the post, thanks to questions over financial reporting at his former employer. Don't worry, he still netted $700,000 of severance pay. And that's just one example. Is the problem, I asked our experts, that we remain stubbornly reliant on the interview as the best way to assess someone's suitability for a role? Is there a better way to run interviews or is the concept itself inherently flawed? Cynthia first. I would probably start, you know, what's the purpose of an interview? The purpose of an interview is to understand more about the individual, you know, the skills they've got, you know, what they're bringing and, you know, what they've learned and where they're going to add value in an organisation. And sometimes the way that it's done isn't always very fair. So if you have an interviewer who has bias, for instance, and prefers people that they're quite pally with, people that, you know, they, they support the same football team or, with you know, they live down the road or all those things have a big impact in terms of whether somebody goes through to the next round or not, or whether they're successful or unsuccessful. So I think, you know, when you are doing any interview process, it has to be consistent. It has to give everyone equity in that process, but it also has to evaluate everyone equally as well. But understand that they are people that maybe might not be very good at interviewing. That doesn't make them bad at the job. It's just sometimes people are nervous or they're scared. It's how can you accommodate an environment that allows people to bring their best If we look at interviews, for example, it's very hard to actually determine how good or bad an average or typical interview is. All the research we have is based on studies that follow very, very well-designed protocols and, you know, that have certain requirements for data to be considered as uh, indicative or in these studies that evaluate the quality of interviews. So I think, you know, the average interview probably looks more like that scene with David Brent, you know, waiting for Ricky Gervais in the office, David Brent waiting for his assistants, and he's sort of very inappropriate. He already has a preference for one of them based on the pictures he saw. And then it's very, very hard to determine what happens behind the closed doors of an interview, which is why, you know, even at the minimum level of using some technology to record and standardize the process, even if you're not using data science to score interview performance, at least there's been a very good opportunity recently to sanitize, standardize, and increase the fairness of the process. Um, I'll say just one more thing about the interview. There's usually a lot of criticism to algorithms and AI for, you know, being black box and artificial intelligence cannot best predict, but we never know why algorithms make a decision, which is not true. You can always know why an algorithm made a decision or what the pattern of data analysis has been for an algorithm to determine that somebody is a good candidate or not. Whereas with the human brain, you never, never know why it made a decision to like somebody or not. If I'm an interviewer and you are the candidate and I decide that you're good, there's absolutely no way to determine why 
I deemed you a good candidate? Is it because you're actually competent? Is it because I liked you? Is it because we connected? Is it because at that moment I had a, I had a good day, something good happened to me? Is it because you reminded me of a distant cousin that I liked? Is it because I'm desperately trying to overcompensate for my sexist bias and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm determining that anyone who doesn't fit, you know, the norm of an in-group candidate will be deemed competent, etc. So you never know. And most importantly, it cannot be replicated. It's never consistent. So I think uh, interviews will forever remain somewhat mysterious if they're in the hands of humans. So if it's humans that are the problem, could technology help us out? After all, there are increasingly advanced tools available on the market, harnessing the power of artificial intelligence to sift CVs or assess candidates via video interviewing, for instance. Can using such tools help make the process more efficient, accurate and effective? Or do the well-publicised issues with AI itself displaying bias make this too much of a risk? What we find is there's a lot more around AI powered tools at the moment, but, you know, let's not kid ourselves. I think AI has its own problems as well, because there's a lot of bias that can come from AI. You know, we've seen that in a number of kind of products that have put other people at disadvantage. And I think for us, it's it's really seeing and using tech in the right kind of way. It's how can that tech make it more fairer and be risk free? and removing bias. And I think that's when it's more of a powerful tool versus one that, you know, my favorite other other individuals. So I'll give you an example. So when I've tried to apply for a passport and stuff, because I'm dark skinned, I have a lot of challenges because the AI doesn't necessarily read the features in the same kind of way as maybe somebody who's light skinned. So there's already a flaw in that process, which means if you are going for an interview or you're interviewing somebody, could that flaw then put somebody at a disadvantage without intending to, but because AI is being created in a way that it favors one group over the other because of how it's been created. So when we train AI interview algorithms to predict whether somebody will be liked by human interviewers or liked by managers who assess their performance once they would get the job, and they systematically or significantly recommend middle-aged white male engineers for a job as opposed to any other group, the bias is not in AI, the bias is not in the algorithm, the bias is in that organization. Right. So when Microsoft and Amazon had attempts of doing this backfire and people accused AI or algorithms of being biased, that's not the case. If you don't use these algorithms, if you don't use AI, middle-aged white male engineers still get promoted in that company. Right? And this is very interesting because you can go even beyond the bias that exists in an organization all the way to biases in society. Right? So if I'm trying to use AI to predict whether somebody is going to be a good salesperson, and you know the algorithm recommends that I hire more attractive people. Attractive people will sell more because humans are uh, lookists, and we find that we trust others more when they are more attractive. And you know, so again, the bias and the unfairness is not in the AI, not even in the company culture or management team. It's in society, and of course, the same goes for race, for sex. Performance is often a self-fulfilling prophecy. We attribute certain, you know, fantasy or imaginary subjective features to people because we like them, because we are biased and assume that they are high performing and therefore they become high performing and vice versa. Once again, then, it's people, our bias, our unpredictability that are the problem here, rather than the tools themselves. So 
Would it be possible to ever remove humans from the hiring decision-making process? Should we be working towards a world without job interviews, say? Thomas would like to try. It's surprising how controversial that idea is when you tell people, you know, what if we killed human job interview? Because everybody wants to see who's in front of them, whether they're on a Zoom screen or in person. But it's absolutely clear that all of the things we really want to attend are the things that in a fair and ethical and, you know, meritocratic society, we should actually ignore and not attend to, right? If I'm sitting in front of you and the information that I actually want to have is whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, whether you're attractive or not, old or not, etc. All of these things that we freak out when they're removed, much like managers often freak out when they can't see somebody on Zoom because they're just using their voice and they're, you know, shutting their camera down. The only way to basically make humans oblivious to these categories is to remove them from the interview process. And, you know, no amount of unconscious bias training will help a human interviewer or a hiring manager forget the fact that the person in front of them looks like a male or looks like a female, looks young or old, sounds posh or working class. You cannot do that. You know, even well-meaning managers who are trying to be open-minded, the more you try to ignore something, the more present it becomes in your mind. So this is, I think, the big advantage that AI has, that you can train algorithms not just to focus on certain things that matter, but also to ignore things that don't matter. And for sure, AI cannot be biased in the same way humans are biased. You know, algorithms don't have a fragile self-esteem that they need to protect by bringing other people down. It's, again, an interesting paradox that a lot of these tech vendors, these platforms that offer automated video interviews are saying that they have a human in the loop to ease anxieties about, you know, accuracy and fairness, when in fact, putting a human in the loop is the only way to guarantee that a bias continues, right? If I record interviews, but then I have hiring managers look at them and overrule or basically contradict the decision that algorithms made, that's probably because they saw something in those humans that they like. And, you know, again, it cannot be unpacked. It cannot be reverse engineered. And if you actually did that, you probably realize that there's a fair bit of contamination or bias going on in those decisions. So, with a person always likely to be involved at some point, do we need to accept that a bias-free recruitment process is impossible, thanks to humanity's inherent messiness? Do we need instead to settle for mitigating this as best we can? I don't think you can actually ever say it's 100% a bias-free recruitment process. I think we can strive to remove some of the barriers that or areas where bias can come in. So, for instance, if we look at the people who are conducting the interviews, are they aware of their own biases and how they play an impact in the recruitment selection? How do they need to be making that conscious effort to make sure the bias does not come in to it when you are making decisions on who's hired and who's not? So I think awareness for me is key. Educating ourselves on where some of those biases can come into a process will help us to be aware and help to remove or mitigate them before they start to cause a barrier for maybe the ones who are, who could be disadvantaged by that bias. So 
I think education, awareness are key in trying to strive for that. But I don't think we will ever have a 100% bias-free recruitment process because whether you use technology or you use the human element along the way, that will creep in. Um, you know, I've had people talk about things like uh, no name CVs or, you know, name blind CVs or, you know, removing uh, people's education. And that's all great because it just means that you're moving people further along the, the chain. But if you haven't completely removed bias along all the recruitment process, at some point that person's going to come into the room, you're going to meet them. And if that bias is still there, guess what? That's as far as that person's going to go in an interview process. As long as humans are involved, and before we achieve Thomas's interview-free, algorithm-driven utopia, mitigating human bias by educating hiring managers seems the most workable solution. Some would argue, however, that this brings us to a whole new world of pain, unconscious bias training, and whether this can ever be truly effective. So should we perhaps dispense with the whole charade? Could recruiting at random really be much worse than relying on inherently mysterious human decision-making? I asked the experts to address the central premise of this episode. What if we recruited at random? Thomas first. I think recruitment at random is a really interesting idea, actually. First, I'm stuck between this interesting, I think, intellectual or mental paradox, whereby my first reaction is, well, you know, considering how bad many of the practices are today, it probably wouldn't be that far off from the status quo or the realities we have today. And of course, it's a lot cheaper, faster, more economical. So, you know, from an ROI perspective, I mean, it probably has some utility. But then I also think it would actually be very, very hard to implement because random would mean truly eliminating anything that is a signal that is considered in the process, whether it's a formal signal or, or an informal signal. So in some ways, random does open up an opportunity to increase meritocracy. <laughs> if at the moment some people are privileged or, you know, favorably evaluated uh, because of unfair reasons, because they are rich or educated uh, in areas that don't, you know, pertain to job or because they're male or white, etc., or young or attractive, I mean, randomness would definitely eliminate those those elements. Of course, the downside to making things random is that you stop actually picking people on their true potential, on their skills, on their abilities, etc. And so on the whole, I think, you know, what we know from the science of recruitment is that if you do everything well, instead of it being a 50-50 coin tossing outcome, and which would be what random is, you can probably get it to 80-20, which is a lot more utility. Imagine if you're right 80% of the times and wrong 20% of the times, you know, that on the whole has important utility and huge benefits for your talent, for, you know, economic benefits, etc. But I think on average, that's not attained. What's usually achieved is maybe 60-40. So I think if we did it randomly, perhaps we lose 10% of accuracy in most places. Now, 
if you factor in the costs of getting to that 10% and how much it costs to hire people, train them, take them to the process, uh, getting the tools, etc. Yeah, I think it will be a worthwhile exercise. And I think when people actually say they don't care about doing this scientifically, nobody has tried to, to prove explicitly and formally what that impact would be. Of course, I don't believe that anyone truly does it at random. So that would be more of an aspiration than a reflection of somebody who doesn't care about any system. Data is really important. So if I look at the end-to-end recruitment process, it's where you advertising your roles for a start. What are the candidates that are applying to that? You know, what's the ratio? Are you measuring or capturing any data around the diversity of the candidates coming through? Do you have a diversity questionnaire that might be capturing things like the gender, the ethnicity, the sexual orientation, disability, all those key factors that, you know, are really, really important to look at, well, how inclusive is your recruitment process? Without that data, you don't know what you're working with. You don't know whether your processes are working or not. How can you make a, a process fair for everybody? And I think, you know, that's difficult to do when you're doing it at random. So that's why it's about looking at a way that gives everyone an equal footing, because that's what you're trying to do is give give everyone that that fair crack at it. And when you interview it randomly, it's just it could be anything, it could be anyone. You know, there's no consistency. There's no fair evaluation of that process. So for me, it's it's not something I would I would do. I would always rather be very clear around your processes, very clear on what you're looking for and very clear in terms of how you're going to seek the right kind of candidates and, and also how you're going to interview them so that there's a consistent flow along that process and it's not just done at whim or just done at random. So it seems that while our existing recruitment processes are far from perfect, the answer lies in making them better not ditching them entirely. After all, we know society to be unfair, so any random approach would likely replicate systemic inequalities. At least a more considered and thoughtful recruitment process gives us the opportunity to build equity in, as well as making better hires. When it comes to recruitment, we need to be more scientific, more methodical and more structured. We need to be the very opposite of random. You have been listening to the What If podcast, Brought to you by the CIPD's Work Magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.